Salutations, listeners. You're listening to another episode of the Dr. Jazz Podcast. And I'm your host, Nathan Holloway, your doctor for jazz. And it is our mission here at the Dr. Jazz Podcast to cure whatever it is that ails you through the power and the majesty of jazz music. In this episode, we are not actually doing a short episode. I couldn't help myself. Um, Although I have one or two ideas, I've just got to try to find the time to actually do those, you know, episodes. But this one, I wanted to make sure I got in and recorded in time for the Thanksgiving holiday break. Because I know many of you are either cooking turkeys or, you know... um, developing cocktails or you're just helping out your significant others you know you know around the kitchen and also trying to stay out of the way for the most part so you don't get yelled at but the point is is i wanted to make sure that if there's something that uh you know you needed to listen to or if you just wanted you know to listen to a new podcast episode while you take that very well deserved long after dinner walk on thanksgiving then this is it because um, it's kind of uh, what I like to call a second helping, <laughs> pun intended, or uh, a double take jazz. Because, you know, I've been working like crazy, you know, down to my elbows. Um, just work, 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 work. It's been uh, crazy busy, and but that's a good problem, right? Right. So um, I've noticed just kind of doing the things that I need to do, uh, you know, at the computer or whatever. I always put on some jazz music, and I noticed that, oh, I like that tune. Oh, but that's not to be confused with this other tune. Oh, but that's not to be confused with that tune. So, what I've got for you in this episode is what I like to call double-take jazz. And what we're going to do is we're going to give you a dichotomy, a musical dichotomy. We're going to play two songs with the exact same title within the jazz idiom and they are completely different completely different so I actually have uh, quite a number of them for you and I do certainly hope that you enjoy it so without further ado let's get to double take jazz enjoy Thank you. 
So what we had there was two versions of Early Autumn. Completely different. Um, <clears throat> so the first one that we heard, of course, is the much more famous one. 
um, by the Great Woody Herman Band, and it was written by Ralph Burns, who is a great composer arranger for the Herman uh, organization there, Woody Herman and his herd. And later on, lyrics were written by Johnny Mercer for that tune, the great Johnny Mercer. And if you're not familiar with Johnny Mercer, please go back and look through the archives of the Dr. Jazz Podcast, and there's an entire spotlight on the wonderful, wonderful work of Johnny Mercer. Um, but yeah, this was uh, recorded uh, ni- December 27th, 1947, and featured an eight-bar tenor saxophone solo by the great Stan Getz, uh, who was one of the uh, four brothers in um, the Woody Herman organization. So, um, yeah, it's a beautiful tune. It's an iconic tune. It's probably the tune that kind of launched Stan Getz and that sound um, into, you know, the annals of jazz history forever, and everybody loves Stan Getz after that. But the second version that we actually heard was a tune that was exactly titled the same thing, Early Autumn, but this one was actually written by Barbara Bell and um, Stan Rhodes. Yeah, and it was recorded by the Claude Thornhill Orchestra. Now, here's the crazy part. Are you ready for this? The Claude Thornhill version that we just heard, the last one that we just heard, was recorded in August, August 9th, actually, August 9th, 1947. So, this one was actually recorded and titled that first before Ralph Burns composed uh, Early Autumn from his um, summer sequence concert. It was the fourth segments, the fourth segment of Ralph Burns' summer sequence concert. Um, but yeah, we're talking months difference, which is kind of crazy, that uh, between August, September, October, November, December, so within four or five months, the Woody Herman Band played and recorded a tune with the exact same title that just came out four or five months previous by the Claude Thornhill Band. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. Um, But yeah. But it's a very cool, kind of almost tango-esque kind of piece. And uh, the vocals were by Fran Warren with the uh, Claude Thornhill Band. So there you go. Crazy, huh? All right. Uh, But... If you're like most jazz listeners, you've probably never heard that version of Early Autumn by Claude Thornhill. So there's loads of surprises in this episode. But here's one that is coming up that is a very, 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 very common tune. And then a double take by someone who's got a very, very, very common voice that you will be able to pick out like that. So... Stick around. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Double Take Jazz here on the Dr. Jazz Podcast.
first tune that we heard there is the Cole Porter classic, I Love You, played by the one and only John Coltrane from his album Lush Life on Prestige, um, which was re- recorded on August 16th, 1957. Um, yeah, I mean, th- this is a standard in, in, in the jazz canon. You know, um, I Love You is one of those tunes that's been recorded by dozens of artists, um, from John Coltrane to Art Pepper, you name it. And um, <clears throat> it's got a lot of those typical Cole Porter-isms, um, you know, with a lot of minor 7 flat 5 chords, that kind of sound. Um, you, you hear that a lot in Cole Porter's tunes, like what is this thing called, Love, etc. Um, but I Love You is one of those, like, tried and true standards. Now I know. Don't, don't say that I'm reaching because I'm really not. Because if there was somebody who you would swear recorded "I Love You" by Cole Porter, you would have thought that it was Frank Sinatra. But au contraire, from his album "Come Swing with Me," uh, featuring the great ba- big band and orchestrations of Billy May, there's a bonus track. Well, there's a couple of bonus tracks, but one of the bonus tracks is. Uh, I Love You, exact same title, but this one is written by Harlan Thompson and Harry Archer, uh, again, arranged and conducted by the great Billy May, but, um, yeah, 
it's just, it's one of those things that's like, really? You know? And sure enough, um, there are two jazz versions <clears throat> of I Love You. And while one is by far more recorded within the jazz canon, this one is a swinging tune. But hardly anybody ever sings or plays this version of I Love You, the Thompson and Archer composition, I Love You. So um, there you go. And by the way, if you're curious, the the entire album is swinging. This has got uh, Day by Day, Almost Like Being in Love, Yes Indeed, Sunny Side of the Street, That Old Black Magic, Paper Doll. I've heard that song before. And if you get the one with the bonus tracks, you get the I Love You track that you just heard. Um, on top of uh, other great songs like I Got a Right to Sing the Blues. Yeah, so great album. And by the way, if you're trying to like jot this down, don't worry, we've got you covered. You can find all of the info in the order that it's played on each episode on our website. And that website is Dr. Jazz Podcast, D-R-J-A-Z-Z Podcast dot WordPress dot com. And don't forget, you can find... The Dr. Jazz Podcast, wherever you find your podcasts, whether that's SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, um, TuneIn, doesn't matter. We are there. So <clears throat> we uh, welcome any new listeners. If you've got some friends or family members who you think this would be perfect for, please pass on a link to them. Um, yeah, and... By the way, at the website, you can click contact and I will get an email from you if you have anything to say. And I would love to hear from you. And um, to Chris and Laura and a bunch of others, thanks so much for writing. Um, I really, really, really do appreciate all the kind words. Thank you guys so much. Nothing but love. Um, yeah. So let's get back to some more double take jazz here. All right. Up next. We've got uh, an Ornette Coleman double feature. So, um, yeah, we're going to actually play four tracks in this in this set because there's a weird little correlation. So it didn't happen once. It happened twice. So, yeah, we'll talk after this next segment.
right. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful stuff. All right, four tracks there. Strange little correlation. Um, so let's back up to the very beginning. So the first track we heard was a tune called Peace. And it was by the Ornette Coleman Quartet, which featured Billy Higgins on the drums, Charlie Hayden on the bass, Don Cherry on the pocket trumpet, and the one and only Ornette Coleman on alto sax, and composer of all these pieces. Um, it was recorded for Atlantic Records in May 22, 1959. It is one of the landmark albums that came out of 1959, along with uh, Dave Brubeck's Time Out, Kind of Blue by Miles Davis, Giant Steps by John Coltrane, uh, Mingus I Um by Charles Mingus. There's a whole host of these fantastic, iconic albums that came out for the jazz idiom in 1959. And this was one of them. There was only six tracks on the entire album. And um, it was the last track on side one. And it was called Peace. Now, what's interesting is as iconic as that is, when the tune, if, if the tune gets called at, like, let's say a jam session or a jazz gig, and they're like, hey, man, let's play Peace. As iconic as that album is, that's not the track that they're talking about. They're actually talking about the second track that we heard there, which is also called Peace, uh, written by the great jazz composer, pianist, and band leader, Horace Silver. And it's an odd tune. It's got like uh, 11 or 13 bars. I can't remember. Um, but it was also recorded in 1959. Now, here's the kicker. It was recorded in August of 1959. So Ornette actually titled the piece first. It's not the same piece at all, by the way. And I know, let me, well, let's rechange the language here. It's not the same composition. We can't keep saying piece for piece. So uh, not to be confused with Bill Evans, piece, piece. Whole different road there. Um, Ornette uh, composed the composition called Peace before Horace Silver composed his composition entitled Peace. Although they were only a few months apart. May 59 is when Ornette recorded his and August of 59 is when Horace recorded his. Now, <laughs> it, it is a beautiful tune um, that really showcases the uh, trumpet of Blue Mitchell. It's it's a fantastic, fantastic version, and it is a standard, even though it's not on as an iconic album as The Shape of Jazz to Come by Ornette Coleman. Uh, it's not to put down the album Blowing the Blues Away by Horace Silver, because it's phenomenal. It's one of my favorite albums. Uh, and it also came out in 1959, had great tracks like uh, Sister Sadie, Blowing the Blues Away, uh, the Baghdad Blues. And, um, yeah. Oh, no, I'm sorry. The, 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 the version of Peace by Horace Silver, one of the things that makes it a, a standard 
among jazz musicians at jam sessions and, and jazz gigs is the um, difficulty of that it has a 10-bar structure. I just found out the info right here. Uh, it doesn't follow a lot of um, uh, typical things. Usually pieces are in ABA or AABA format, 16, 12, or 32 bars. Uh, this one is 10, which is really odd. So that's the the challenge in playing this beautiful tune. And it didn't go by fast. It's a ballad. So there you go. Um, after that, we heard from the exact same album, The Shape of Jazz to Come, with Higgins, Hayden, Cherry, and Coleman. We heard Lonely Woman, which is kind of the free jazz anthem, if you will. It is the one tune that's really become a standard off of that album. And while that is by far the most popular version of Lonely Woman, which a bunch of people have copied Lonely Woman and re-recorded it, you know, uh, John Zorn with his Naked City Band. A rockin' version of of Lonely Woman. Uh, the Modern Jazz Quartet even had an entire Atlantic album entitled Lonely Woman, in which they play with piano, vibes, bass, and drums, this Ornette Coleman tune. So um, it is a, a, a standard, you know. Uh, but what's really interesting is that, again, it's Horace Silver. <laughs> is this weird correlation between Ornette and Horace, uh, who are two giants of the idiom. There's no doubt about it. Horace Silver wrote a tune called Lonely Woman, and it was on his 1965 release, um, which is recorded between 1963 and 1964. So we're talking four to five years after uh, the heightened you know, popularity, if you will, infamousness, maybe, uh, at the time of Ornette Coleman's Lonely Woman. But Horace wrote a tune called Lonely Woman, and it was featured on his Blue Note classic Blue Note album, Song for My Father. Now, that song blew up. I mean, took off. Everybody loved it. Um... And, of course, that famous recording of Song for My Father uh, featured Blue Mitchell again on trumpet, Junior Cook. Uh, I'm sorry, it featured Joe Henderson on the tenor saxophone and um, Carmel Jones on the trumpet. But on other tracks on the album, there's Blue Mitchell and Junior Cook. But the piano trio version of Lonely Woman that we heard was actually Roy Brooks on the drums, Gene Taylor on the bass, and Horace Silver on the piano. And it's a gorgeous ballad. It really is. And in fact, Pat Metheny's even covered it. He threw a curveball to some, uh, a couple of us who bought the album Rejoicing with Billy Higgins and Charlie Hayden and him on guitar in a nice trio format. And he's doing a lot of, he's covering a lot of Ornette tunes as well as uh, original compositions from his own pen, and then he throws Lonely Woman in there, but it's the Horace Silver version, and it's like, okay, a little shifty version, a little shifty move there, Pat Matheny, so there you go, 
But it's a gorgeous tune, and both deserve to um, be heard and given equal temperament. So, but it's just odd that there are two different sets of tunes uh, with the exact same title between Ornette Coleman and Horace Silver. So, hopefully you found that interesting. All right? Uh, All right, enough talking for me. Let's get back to some great music.
Okay. Okay. I can feel I can feel your look <laughs> in the famous words of Vincent Vega. Um Okay, Jazz Purist, stop cringing for a second. Hear me out. Hear me out. So the very first version we heard was the classic blue note recording and composition by the great legend Wayne Shorter from his 1964, I think is when he recorded, yeah, December 24th, 1964, uh, Blue Note album, Speak No Evil. And that was the title track, which featured, of course, Wayne Shorter on the tenor saxophone, Freddie Hubbard on the trumpet, Elvin Jones on the drums, Herbie Hancock on the piano, and the great Ron Carter on the bass. By the way, great documentary out on Ron Carter on PBS. If you haven't caught it, uh, check it out. Totally worth it. Ron is a living legend, and he deserves all of our attention. So, And he's played with everybody. So please make sure you check out that documentary. You won't be sorry. Um, but back to the music here. Uh, so this came from a 60s session, 1964 recording uh, for Blue Note Records, of the tune called Speak No Evil. Okay. And that's the one that's in the real books, and that's the one that everybody plays whenever it's called at a session or a gig. Okay. But then Howard Johnson on tuba, David Taylor on bass trombone, Bones Malone on the trombone, Wayne Andre, Janice Robinson on the trombone, John Faddis on the trumpet, Lou Soloff on the trumpet, Victor Paz on the trumpet, Danny Moore on trumpet, Turk Morrow on the berry sax, Steve Marcus, Joe Farrell on the tenor saxophone, Dave Tafani, Jerry Dodgen on the alto sax, Kenny Barron on the electric piano, Bob Cranshaw, legendary blue note bass player on the electric bass, Ross Trout on the guitar, and on the drums, the band leader himself, Buddy Rich. Yeah. So, before you cringe, you got to understand that this was not only a song title recorded by the great Buddy Rich called Speak No Evil, written by Richard Evans, but it was also the album title. So, besides there being Speak No Evil, two Speak No Evils within the jazz idiom, by two legendary musicians, by the way, it's also the name of two albums by these two. And that is the title track of both albums. So, crazy coincidence, right? Right. You'd never think that that would come out of Buddy Rich. Or that it would be unearthed, resurfaced, and put it in a podcast like this. So, there you go. We aim to amaze, bewilder, and surprise. <laughs> uh, yeah, craziness, right? Right. Okay. So, um, you might be just as shocked at this next pairing. So, 
Stick around. Don't go anywhere. You are listening to Jazz Double Takes here on the Dr. Jazz Podcast.
All right. So you may have recognized that first tune. Uh, it's very much a standard. Uh, written by the one and only Dave Brubeck uh, in homage to the great Duke himself, Duke Ellington. And it's simply titled The Duke. <clears throat> now, it was made much more famous by the great Miles Davis and Gil Evans off of their album Miles Ahead for Columbia Records. But, because he recorded that on that album. But, um, Dave Brubett recorded it first, and this version that we just heard to start off that set uh, comes from the album Interchanges 54. So it's really tough to kind of pinpoint when Brubeck wrote this particular piece, but I would imagine around 1954 because that predates even um, Miles and Gill doing their Miles Ahead album. So let's say around 54 because of the Interchanges 54 album. Now, the second tune that we heard was a tune called The Duke as well. And by another great, uh, highly regarded uh, arranger and composer within the jazz idiom, the one and only Claire Fisher. And he, not a she, he, uh, Claire Fisher uh, had quite a cavalcade on this album. Now, this is well after the fact. This is not like 1954 or whatever. This is, was recorded in August of 1968 and released in 1969 on Atlantic Records uh, as an album entitled Thesaurus. And the band includes Claire Fisher on piano and Fender Rhodes, Gary Foster on lead alto, Kim Richmond on alto sax, uh, Louis Ciotti and Warren Marsh on the tenor sax, uh, the great Bill Perkins, if you know your Pacific jazz and West Coast jazz and you know Bill Perkins, Bill Perkins on Barry Sax, John Lowe on Bass Sax. Yeah, get some bottom in there. Uh, in the trumpet section, Larry McGuire, Buddy Childers, Conti Condoli, Steve Huffstetter, and Stuart Fisher, all in the trumpet section. Uh, Gil Falco, Charlie Loper, and David Sanchez on the trombones, not to be confused with David Sanchez, the younger tenor saxophonist. Uh, Morris Rapass on the bass trombone, Chuck Domonico on the bass, and Larry Bunker on the drums. This is a who's who of really great West Coast jazz cats. Um, yeah. And all of these tunes uh, were, except for just a handful, were composed and arranged by Claire Fisher. Um, yeah, it, it's but this is another one that's dedicated to Duke Ellington, titled The Duke, about 15 years after the fact that Brubeck <laughs> wrote and recorded The Duke. Miles Davis covered Brubeck's recording of The Duke, and it's immensely popular tune. So I don't understand the logic of naming something to be confused with something else, even if the subject matter is the same, an homage to Duke Ellington. It wasn't like Duke Ellington just passed away. This is 1968, 1969. Duke wouldn't pass away until 1974, so there is absolutely no logic for me 
to try to even extend an explanation to Claire Fisher. But yet, here we are. We have two versions that are completely different with the exact same title called The Duke. And now you're all the much wiser. So, there you have it. Up next, we've got another four-song set. Uh, There's interesting correlations between um, all four of these songs. So, I'm going to let it play out there. Don't forget, you can find the Dr. Jazz Podcast wherever you find your podcast. Please share with a friend or family member if you think that they would be interested. If you've got time, if uh, you're done listening to uh, all of our podcast episodes and you've already walked off your turkey dinner and um, you have nothing else to do, but you want to help out the Dr. Jazz Podcast, that's okay. This is a labor of love. We don't make a dime off of this. We actually have to pay in order to get it to keep you know our postings up. So um, if you'd like, it would sure help us out if you would write us positive reviews wherever you find your podcasts, whether that's Apple Podcasts, um, you know, Stitcher, TuneIn, Amazon, uh, specifically Apple. We've got a, a good number of those going on there, and we would certainly appreciate it. So uh, remember, you can also find out every track, information, album, art, that way you know exactly what to get if you find a song that you like. We will not lead you astray. And that website for the podcast is Dr. Jazz Podcast, D-R-J-A-Z-Z Podcast dot WordPress dot com. And you can reach out to us there and we would love to hear from you and we will write you back. So, enough of the PSA. Let's get to this four song set right here on Double Take Jazz on the Dr. Jazz Podcast. Oh, <laughs> 
Okay. So let's break this down. You know what we're about to talk about here. Okay. Obviously, it's about Miles. Okay, so we heard four tracks right there in that set. Let's go to the first two, and let's start dissecting this. Okay, so the first track that we heard was a tune called Milestones. Yeah, believe it or not. And it comes from the... 1947, August 14, 1947 recording for uh, the Savoy Jazz record label. Uh, it's a tune called Milestones. It was written by Miles Davis, and it features Max Roach on the drums, Nelson Boyd on the bass, John Lewis on the piano from Modern Jazz Quartet, or soon-to-be Modern Jazz Quartet fame, Miles Davis on the trumpet, and the one and only Charlie Parker on the tenor saxophone. Not alto on this track, but tenor saxophone. And it's on an album called First Miles. And it's it's truly the first track on that album. Now, after that, we heard what is another composition by Miles Davis entitled Milestones from his album called Milestones on the Columbia Jazz label from 1958. So 11 years later. Uh, which featured Philly Joe Jones on the drums, Mr. PC himself, Paul Chambers on the bass, Red Garland on piano, John Coltrane on the tenor saxophone, Cannonball Adderley on the alto saxophone, and Miles Davis on trumpet. Yeah. That's a little weird, right? That the guy who already wrote a tune called Milestones 11 years previous would write another tune called Milestones. Well, the weirdness does not stop there. Let us move on to the last two tunes that we heard. So the third tune that we heard in that set uh, comes from a 1953-1954 recorded album between two sessions, May of 1953 and April of 1950, March and April of 1954. Uh, it features, let's see, Max Roach yet again, Art Blakey and Kenny Clark on different tracks on the drums, Percy Heath on the bass from uh, the Modern Jazz Quartet, John Lewis, Horace Silver, and Charles Mingus on piano. Davy Schildekraut on the alto saxophone, and Miles Davis, yet again, on the trumpet. And it's the last track from an album called Blue Haze for Prestige Records. And it's a tune called Miles Ahead. Yeah. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. Uh, very bebop in nature. Um... And it's a tune that was written by Miles Davis. Are you scratching your head yet? Okay, same. Then we move on to the fourth track, which was recorded in October. I'm sorry, it was recorded in May and August of 1957. We're talking just three, like three years later here. For the Columbia label. 
Miles Davis went into the, uh, three or four years later, went into the recording studio with, for the first time, with the Gil Evans Orchestra. And not only had a tune that he wrote that Gil arranged, but also kind of co-wrote, Gil Evans did, called Miles Ahead. That's right. Same title by the same composer guy. And to make matters more interesting, he also titled that album after that. So let's just get this straight for a second, okay? 1947, Miles writes a tune called Milestones. Okay, cool. 11 years later, he comes back in the studio, writes another tune called Milestones that's completely different, using more modality and less bebopishness, and decides, hey, I'm going to title the whole album that. After the same composition that I just wrote 11 years previous. Okay, then yet again... He already wrote a tune called Miles Ahead. He goes into the recording studio with Gil Evans and writes another tune with him called Miles Ahead that's completely different. You know, much more of the cool school, uh, third stream vein, a lot less bebop, and he names that album after that recomposition. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. Now, I know Miles is a mystery wrapped in an enigma, wrapped in a riddle. But that's a little kooky. I mean, even for me, that's a little kooky. But I guess that's the mystery and the mystique known as Miles Davis. But I do want to make sure that I mention all the fabulous musicians who are part of the Gil Evans Orchestra for this recording. Gil Evans is obviously the arranger and the conductor. Wenton Kelly was on piano. Art Taylor my man Art Taylor was on the drums. Mr. PC, Paul Chambers is on the bass. Sid Cooper on flute and clarinet. Romeo Pinquet was on flute and clarinet. Danny Bank on bass clarinet. Lee Konitz was on the alto sax, who had previously recorded with Miles on the Birth of the Cool session from 1949. And also, Gil Evans had a hand in that, too. Uh, Bill Barber on the tuba, Jim Buffington and Tony Miranda on the and Willie Ruff on, on the French horn. Um, yeah, Willie Ruff, man, great French horn player there. Uh, Tom Mitchell, Joe Bennett, Jimmy Cleveland, and Frank Rehack all in the trombone section. Johnny Carisi, who actually wrote the tune Israel, which was featured on the Birth of the Cool album. Johnny Carisi, Taft, Jordan, Louis Mucci, Ernie Royal, and Bernie Glow were all on the trumpet section, and of course Miles was on trumpet and flugelhorn as the featured soloist for this album. So, crazy stuff, right? Absolutely. Um, the original album cover had uh, Miles Davis, Miles Ahead, Miles Davis plus 19 members of the Gil Evans Orchestra, and it had this woman on, on like a boat with a hat on. And um, Miles was not very happy about that at all. 
Um, and uh, he quickly let Columbia know that he was pissed off. And he went to George Avakian at the time, who was the Columbia executive, saying, why'd you put that white bitch on the cover? You know? <laughs> so um, as only Miles could do with the swagger that Miles had. Um, of course, Avakian tried to play it down, saying, like, oh, he was just kidding when he said that. And of course he did, yeah. But for all the Relator releases, it was a picture of Miles Davis on the cover, just so you know. Um, but yeah, this started a beautiful um, musical marriage between the sounds of Miles Davis's tone of his trumpet and flugelhorn and the timbres of the Gil Evans Orchestra merging uh, in a very successful way under the Columbia umbrella. And it would uh, continue on to such great recordings as Porgy and Bess. Sketches of Spain and Quiet Nights. So, yeah, there was a beautiful kind of concoction made in the musical laboratory there between Gill and Miles. So, and they're all classic recordings. But it still just blows my mind that there are not one instance, but two instances of Miles Davis writing a tune and then rewriting a completely different tune with the exact same title and then yet making that the album title the second go-round both times. So, now you're smarter for that. There you go. All right, enough talking for me. Let's get back to some great jazz double takes. Thank you. 
All right. So, as strange as both of those tunes sounded, comparatively, they share the same title. Ming. And neither are necessarily for the great Charles Mingus. So there you go. Even crazier. Uh, That last track was by vibraphone master Cal Jader from his hit album from 1965, Soul Sauce. And it's on the Verve Records label. It was recorded in November of 1964 and released in 1965. This is the same album that has the uh, hit tune Wachiwato, uh, which is Soul Sauce, which is written by Dizzy Gillespie and Chano Pozo. Um, lots of great tracks on here. The crazy part, um, oh, by the way, it features Bob Bushnell on electric bass, uh, Kenny Burrell on guitar, Jimmy Heath on tenor sax, Donald Byrd on the trumpet, Willie Bobo, Armando Parazza, and Alberto Valdez on percussion, Grady Tate and Johnny Ray splitting duties on the drums, Richard Davis and John Hilliard splitting duties on the bass, um, Lonnie Hewitt on the piano, and of course, Cal Jader on the vibes. The crazy part about their version of Ming is that the composer is unknown. But it's from way back in 1964. Now, the first song that we heard in that set uh, is a tune called Ming, but from 1980. The one and only David Murray. And um, he wrote that tune along with uh, all the rest of the tunes on the album. There's five tracks uh, from an album called Ming. And uh, it's by the David Murray Octave. Um, which features the great David Murray on tenor sax and bass clarinet, uh, Henry Threadgill on the alto saxophone, Oludara on the trumpet, uh, Butch Morris on the cornet, George E. Lewis, not to be confused with the clarinet player, but George E. Lewis on the trombone, Anthony Davis on the piano, Wilbur Morris on the bass, and the great Steve McCall on drums. So... Yeah, incredible lineup there. Beautiful, beautiful song uh, composed by David Murray in 1980. Uh, Recorded July 25th and 28th, 1980 for the Black Saint label. So, yeah, crazy, huh? Two completely different polar opposite um, styles, sounds, but yet, there it is. So... They both are titled Ming. (laughs) Uh, Okay, we got one, two, three different comparisons. More coming at you. Uh, So stick around. Uh, The music's bound to get really cool, really interesting. Don't go anywhere.
<laughs> All right. So this one is actually, this dichotomy is a blue note double take, if you will. So the very first track that we heard was none other than the great pianist and composer Andrew Hill. And we heard a tune called Smokestack from his album of the exact same name, Smokestack, on Blue Note Records, recorded December 13, 1963. But it wasn't released until early August 66. And it features um, Roy Haynes, Snap Crackle, on the drums. Uh, and then there's two bassists sharing duties here, Eddie Kahn, as well as the great Richard Davis. And Andrew Hill, of course, is on piano. Um, yeah, crazy, right? And like I said, the, the entire album is called Smokestack. Now, let's rewind back to April of 1957 on Blue Note Records. Um, there was an album by The Little Giant, also known as The Great Johnny Griffin. Phenomenal tennis saxophone player. And the album was called A Blow-In Session. And there is a tune that was composed by the great Johnny Griffin first called Smokestack on the exact same record label. And this is a killer album because it featured Art Blakey on the drums, Mr. PC Paul Chambers on the bass, Wynton Kelly on the piano, Lee Morgan on the trumpet, and a trio of tenors. You had not only Johnny Griffin on the tenor saxophone, who's the leader of the session, but also the great Hank Mobley and the phenomenal John Coltrane, all blowing on this album. Um, yeah, crazy. Two versions of a tune, both written by the album leaders on the exact same record label, just a few years apart. We're talking like five years apart. And still, they couldn't be com more completely different. Huh. Another jazz double take. So, remember, you can find the Dr. Jazz Podcast wherever you find your podcast. Please uh, share with your friends, family, anybody you think would dig it. And hopefully you're digging it, too. And if you'd like to let us know, drop us a line. You can do that by hitting the contact button at the top of our website. And that address is Dr. Jazz Podcast, D-R-J-A-Z-Z Podcast. Dot wordpress.com and we'd love to hear from you and we will write you back guaranteed um yeah and you can also get info on every single episode including the album art the uh artist name spelled correctly and the title tr or the the track that you heard in the order it was played on each episode of the dr jazz podcast so without further ado let's get to our last couple of Jazz Double Takes, here on the Dr. Jazz Podcast. Thank you. 
All right. So, we have uh, two very funky, spacey, groovy kind of tracks there. And this one kind of delves a little deeper and uh, takes a, a bit of a weird turn here. So, the very first track that we heard was from the great Miles Davis. Um, and it was actually recorded October 7th, 1974. And it was on his album, Get Up With It, during his electric fusion era, in which um, he called Directions in Music. Now, um, the tune's title is called Matume. And he actually um, had a percussionist, James Matume, who just recently passed. Um, and I assume that it was a an homage to James Matume, um, who, by the way, is, I believe, the son of the great tenor saxophonist and jazz composer Jimmy Heath. So, yeah. Uh, so James Matume, I assume it was written for, is on percussion, of course, and that's where we're hearing a bunch of the the like congas and bongos and things like that. Sonny Fortune is on the flute. Al Foster is on the drums. Michael Henderson on bass guitar. Dominique Gaumont was on electric guitar, along with Reggie Lucas on electric guitar and the wonderful Pete Cozy on electric guitar. That's three electric guitars. Uh, and, of course, Miles not only playing his electric trumpet with the wah-wah pedal, but also playing organ on that track as well. Okay. Well, the tune that we heard right after that was also called Matume. And this one was written by the vibraphone master, Bobby Hutcherson, from his Blue Note um, record called Head On. And he recorded this album July 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, 1971. So he actually recorded this before Miles Davis did. And here's the crazy part. It also has congas and, and percussion, bongos, etc., um, but listen to the lineup. Bobby Hutchison on Vibes and Marimba, Oscar Brashear on Trumpet and Flugelhorn, George Bohannon and Louis Spears on the trombone, Willie Ruff again on the French horn, Fred Jackson Jr. on the piccolo, Harold Land, the great tenor saxophonist, on tenor saxophone and flute, uh, Delbert Hill, Charles Owens, Herman Riley, and Ernie Watts on in the reed section. Todd Cochran was the arranger and the pianist. William Henderson on the electric piano. Uh, Reggie Johnson and James Leary III on bass. Ndugu Chancellor, Styx Hooper, and Woody Theus all on the drums. Donald Smith on vocals on this album. And Warren Bryant on congas and bongos. There is no mention of James Matume. And he's not on the session. So these are two completely different tunes with very percussive elements 
One, I assume that was written for by Miles. Two, James Matume. But this one's written Matume by Bobby Hutcherson. And there's no James Matume to be found. There are three years difference between the two. But, um, yeah, it's just one of those crazy things that they both can draw upon percussive elements that you would assume would be in homage to the percussionist James Matume, but yet only one has Matume playing on the track. And it's the latter one, not the original one. Crazy. So, all right, uh, we've got one more jazz double take for you. We do certainly hope you enjoy it and you have enjoyed this episode and hopefully you found some new tracks that you dug because that's what it's all about, finding some good music, spreading the love around and keeping a jazzy vibe. So, uh, thank you so much for listening. Remember, we are nothing without you. So thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And now, Lotus Blossom. Thank you. 
So the very first tune that we heard there at the uh, the beginning of that set is Lotus Blossom, the original composition by trumpet great Kenny Dorham, who not only played with Charlie Parker, but was also a jazz messenger. And this comes off of his 1959 album, Quiet Kenny. It's probably his most famous album. Art Taylor on drums, Paul Chambers on bass, Tommy Flanagan piano, and of course Kenny Dorham on the trumpet. A host of standards on this album, but the opening track is an original by Kenny Dorham called Lotus Blossom. It would later be, the title would later be known as Asiatic Rays, but for this album it was known as Lotus Blossom and was also covered uh, by Sonny Rollins among many, many, many other jazz musicians. It's a very popular tune. Um, yes. Now, the second tune that we heard is a tune that was composed by the compositional giant, Billy Strayhorn. And it was performed by Duke Ellington, and um, it's also a tune called Lotus Blossom. And there was a beautiful um, version, two beautiful versions, actually. Um, That one was the trio version. Um in which um, that all of these uh, these Strayhorn tunes were uh, compiled together and performed by the Ellington Orchestra uh, as a tribute to Billy Strayhorn, who died in 1967. And, of course, Strayhorn was Ellington's right-hand man, uh, compositionally and... Uh, Duke would have not have been Duke without so many of those Billy Strayhorn compositions. So this was recorded in uh, 1967 after Strayhorn had passed. And um, they couldn't be more completely different. Um, but there's something special about this tune um, in Duke's hands because he really is pouring his heart out and just letting it all of his emotions on his sleeve in this version and it's gorgeous so um, I do hope you enjoyed both versions Um, it's a very poignant note to end on and um, yeah it's one of my favorite tunes so that being said uh, thank you so much for listening Uh, hopefully you dug this episode of Jazz Double Takes Um, hopefully there will be more episodes in the future uh, whether they be shorter or not, I don't know. Uh, work will really only dictate that. But thank you again. Um, we do love you madly, in the famous words of Duke Ellington. And until next time, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Y'all be good now, because in jazz, we trust.